yeah, you get these nights sometimes, right? And you know, uh, early in the game there when they pulled that one off the goal line, you know, it, it you just kind of think, you know, that it might be one of those nights, you know, that that, that one that doesn't fall for you. And that's the way it turned out. You know, we get that number of shots and that many quality, clean looks at the goaltender that normally with our caliber of shooters, uh, you know, those, those, those find ways to go in. But you, you need to find ways to win these games uh, or, and certainly get points. You know, you get into the overtime and it's it's uh, a bit of a, a coin toss from there, but you got to get points in these games and find a way. And I didn't sense our energy sagging. I, there was a little bit of, you know, a little bit of frustration I could start to see in our guys in that second period, late in the second period especially. We talk a lot about just, hey, that's, that's, there's no use in that. We have a lot of game to play. We're one shot away. We're going to get more looks, so stay with it. So it took a lot longer than we'd like, but I was thrilled to see the guys get rewarded. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunnings. The Maple Leafs come away with a 2-1 overtime victory over the Ducks last night in Anaheim as Austin Matthews' 30th goal of the season. His first game winner of the season coming in overtime. And that, <laughs> after Ilya Labushkin looked like he was going to be the hero for the Ducks, mm-hmm. keeping Matthews away from his 30th during regulation as the Ducks watch more than 100 shots head towards their goal. <laughs> uh, and 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 you know somehow escape of the point. 104 to 44 were shot attempts in favor of the uh, Maple Leafs in that hockey game. 104 shot attempts, peppering, peppering, peppering. And again, like we've we've laid out the numbers. Yes, they were shooting from everywhere, but they're also shooting for some very good spots, high danger chances, racking them up. It, it was remarkable to see the way they were able to push and really, really encouraging to see the lack of frustration. You know, I mean, obviously there was some frustration building throughout the game, but you know, that was the thing I was kind of thinking about watching, watching that game last night is, you know, we've had a lot of talks this season of, is this a normal leaf team? Is things back to normal? What did the playoff win or round win do for this team? And I was getting a little deja vu as of late, the idea of, okay, they've, They've played in these games a lot before. There's goaltending conundrums. There's goaltending questions. But to the point you've made a lot of times, this year is different. This team just seems to have regular Regular season season magic. magic. And it's the captain in the dying moments of the regulation. It's Matthews in overtime. And that... Throughout that game, as Dostal was standing on his head and he's he's stopping all hundred and change shot attempts. I'm thinking, I've just seen this movie so many times, but they actually find a way they actually do it. And it does make me, it does make me just think like, who knows if regular season magic bleeds into playoff magic. I don't, I don't generally know. If it hasn't. I don't know if one, well, but they, there generally hasn't been regular <laughs> well, season I mean, magic. They've had 115 point regular season. Yeah. But more times than not, that's been them being a good team and taking care of business. It hasn't been them yeah. with, five goal comebacks in the Mm. third period that hasn't been the case so i don't know it just it did jump out to me last night of it was starting to feel a little familiar Mm. but then they find a way to get the win last night you know i hand up did did you know leafs had this incredible in streak of not being shut out like did you understand that it's been 181 games now 2021 was the last time they've been shut out remarkable yeah that it's it is remarkable. I mean, it also is what should happen when you I pay guess. four forwards well, okay, upwards so of $40 million. Is, so at first I was like, is that incredible? I do think it is, but do you, 
The other point of comparison, like when we were talking about franchise streaks and mm. records, I was thinking about to maybe compare it to. Remember, it was about 10 years ago, the Raptors had a streak of hitting a three-pointer yeah, in every three. game for yeah. like 10 years. Yep. <laughs> and it was, there was some bad Raptors. And it's like, okay, a, a one three-pointer in a basketball <laughs> I would hope that you would hit <laughs> one three-pointer in a basketball game every day. Or every game you played, and the Raptors did for about 10 years before they didn't. Yes, and, I but do it was the this. longest streak I do remember this. in the NBA. Is that a fair comparison, or is it more impressive than that? No, way more impressive. Yeah. Uh, three in an NBA game is just a one, and I suppose you could say a wrist shot or a tip or whatever could go in at any one time. No, harder to score a goal. We, you know, if a team, if a team scores five of them a night, we look at them as offensive juggernauts. And if a team makes five threes in a night, we tell them they need to make some more threes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, way, way more impressive, uh, the the not being shutout streak. Also, just quickly while we're talking about shutouts, I would like to commend the entirety of the Leafs beat for their cursey shutout stats during the third period of that game. There has not been a 50-save shutout since X. Dostal has made. It just felt the like. The record is 59 for saves in a shutout Thank you well. for that. It just felt like. And, you know, again, I'm the last guy to do this. I would never be mentioning it if it was the Leafs. I am superstitious in that regard. And, you know, I know these are all journalists and professionals, but it just felt like they were really pulling on the rope, making sure, because it felt like every single member of the Leafs beat had some stat of that if it would have got thrown up on the broadcast, and again, it would have been the shoe on the other foot of the Leafs, I would have said, get that out of here. That is just a cursed stat waiting to happen. So mm. I don't know if you want to give your credit to Myrtle or Kevin McGran or Luke Fox or whoever it was, but mm. everybody pulling on the rope open doing their part to curse them so leaves down 45 points they are 19 10 and 7 they're three points back of the panthers for second in the atlantic division with a game in hand they have three games in hand on the lightning who are fourth in the atlantic and now four points up on the lightning that's a, that's a nice gap considering the the games in hand mm-hmm. um, and obviously a situation as mentioned explicitly by Sheldon Keefe, where coming off the three-game losing streak and the poor goaltending they were getting from Ilya Samsonov, they wanted to rack up points. And they, they've done so. Four, uh, four for four as far as the first two games of this California road trip, a California road trip in, in which they picked up no victories just a season mm-hmm. ago. It happened at a different point in the season. Uh, so they were so desperate for those points. Started Martin Jones, the only... We know capable NHL goaler, uh, goaltender on no, this. You, goaler, I love it. Yeah, goaler. Uh, he's the only guy we know is capable of tending goal in mm-hmm. the National Hockey League right now on this roster. Now, maybe Dennis Hildeby is, but, like, we don't know that. We know that, at worst, Martin Jones can be cromulent. It was more than that, maybe, yesterday? I'd yeah. say he was pretty cromulent. I'd say he was more than that. Okay, so they, they started him in back-to-backs, which I'm like, yeah. I'm of two minds. One is that it's not the worst thing in the world to start a goaltender on uh, back-to-backs. Like, you, you, okay, it. I get it. It's a lot of work, and boy, they sweat. And I know it's it's not the same as, boy, as playing they sweat. twenty-five <laughs> minutes trying to score a goal in your thirtieth of the season. I, 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 I guess I don't speak from experience here. But yeah, it's it's sure it's hard work playing the Anaheim Ducks and only giving up one one goal. You almost sound like you believe it. Yeah. But that being said, I, I think Dennis Hildeby could have done the job. He didn't, and again, I get to be wrong because they got the two points and he made all the saves. And you're right, oh, pressure-packed situation where down one nothing, you got to stop all the pucks, and he did that. Good for you. Well <laughs> done. So the next back-to-back is next weekend. It's not this weekend. They have a back-to-back upcoming 
next weekend. And Sheldon Keefe did also say, hey, we're going to need Dennis Hill to be in these games. So he didn't discount the possibility of him playing in a National Hockey League game. Uh, that being said, okay, but what if they need the points again next weekend? Like, what? What do you expect to happen? Like, is that when we get to see Dennis Hildeby? Is there a trade that happens between now and next weekend? Is Ilya Samsonov recovered mentally enough in time to return to this team by next weekend? What happens next weekend? I think that we would see Hildeby next weekend. I don't think they rush to make a trade, especially given what's happened with Jones and especially given the kind of landscape of trading for a goalie or a goaler, as you so wonderfully said, mm-hmm. uh, right now. I think they would go to him. I think that if Jones looks a little bit worse on the Tuesday night against the Kings. You don't see him. I don't think it was a, we don't want to play Dennis Hill to be. I think this is, and I made this point yesterday. I think there, I think this is a different conversation. If this is not the California road trip where Martin Jones is played and is comfortable in all those buildings. Like I really do. I really do. I, I think the way the Kings game played out, you would have gone back to Jones given the short nature of the travel and the back to back and all of that. I think you would have done that if the game was on Hawaii and Mars. I know those aren't short travels, but live with me in this terrible analogy. But when I see what they what they got out of him last night, I think that there is going to be a world where they go to Hill to be on the next back-to-back. I think that was a special scenario. The short travel, comfortable guy in those buildings, knows all those teams. You know, it's a, it's a different team, but he's just, again, he's comfortable there. He's played so well in those buildings before. I just look at it as the circumstances made a lot of sense to go back to him. I think on the next back-to-back, you should almost certainly be going to Hill to be. I do want to see it. I am not scared to put him in the net. I just thought it made sense to go Jones last night. And again, because of the scoreboard, I get to be right. Yeah. I'd almost want to get him in before then. Uh, so they, they are, they're in San Jose on hockey night in Canada and the sharks bending the knee with the seven o'clock Eastern start uh, in that one. As and they then, should, and then they return home. It's God, one of those weird met- home and homes against the sharks quickly. Mm-hmm. I almost, I don't actually want this because I'd be screaming bloody murder. But just to tweak Canucks fans, I would have kind of enjoyed the Leafs playing at 10 o'clock. It's like in Vancouver, you got to play at seven just because that would tweak them to no end. But the Sharks, you get your local time. Yeah. Could might, you imagine? I might start him in that game. I know it's hockey no, night in Canada, what? and I know it's San Jose. Come so, but on. Like, either one of those Sharks games, and I, I think I would want his NHL debut to probably be in a more uh, welcoming environment in on the road in San Jose, oh. especially when you've you've it's already a successful road trip, and I, I know you should also pound the Sharks into sand, but yeah, it, 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 it they beat the Oilers who can't be beaten now, right? Like early in the season, they are capable of coming up with a sixty-minute performance of their own. But yeah, I I think with the equity you've built up in these first two games of the California road trip, if you're gonna get them into a game before the back-to-back, and the back-to-back is not against some chumps either, right? It's uh, it's at home, but against the Avs and Red Wings, who mm-hmm. have capable offensive players. I got, if you're going to play him, the plan is to play him. And Jalen Keefe said the plan is to play him. I get him into one of those Sharks games. So, like, I, I six and one half dozen the other, though, right? Like, yep. hockey night in Canada, but in San Jose or return home after the road trip where you always get, like, a sluggish mm-hmm. game generally yep. from a team that was on the road. Again, against the Sharks team, but making your NHL debut at home, I'd start him on Hockey Night in Canada in San Jose. This is where I need you to tell me if I'm just being dumb. Yeah, yeah almost I, certainly yes. I was going to say, let me say a word before you just say yes. 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 You can't do that to Martin Jones. 
he has come in and he has Mart. Well, he, no, no, no. he's going to get his start against his former oh, team oh, at against, home. Yeah, no, it truly means so much to him to play at home in Toronto against the Sharks. This guy has come in here and I don't want to overstate things, but to a certain extent saved the season. He's got a 930 save. Yeah, and Martin Jones doesn't come in and do what he's done. The Leafs are floundering. The Leafs are with the lightning in terms of points percentage and where they're at. And we're having a very different conversation through no fault of the coach and the 18 skaters that will be playing. It would be totally undone through goaltending. You have to give him the start. I understand the case you make out. And if you're adamant about getting him in before the back-to-back, I actually do think that's the best spot because I agree with what you say about not starting him at home when they're coming back and being sluggish. You certainly don't want to, and I don't know, maybe you feel differently about this. I don't think if you're going to do the thing where you pick the spot for him, you say... On Long Island with John Tavares no, coming to thing. town. Like that's, that's, that's the only other game. You're not going to give him the abs, obviously. So I understand the argument you're making, but I hate putting him in the spot at home when you know that team is going to play sluggish. And you have to. I'm sorry. Sheldon Keefe always has a sense of the moment, plays all the Swedish guys on Borea night. We've gone through this a million times. He does not healthy scratch you like Mike Babcock. I would be floored if he doesn't get the net. It's a long time to be sitting around like with the anticipation of being in the NHL for the first time and not getting into a game too, right? Like I, I yeah. that's a tough spot to be throwing him into his first action against, you know, teams that are various levels of good in the abs and red wings. But yeah, also after being in the NHL for two weeks, like I I think he gets one of these Sharks games and I would give him the one uh, on the road uh, on Hockey Night in Canada. I know Martin Jones, poor Martin Jones, not against his... His old For team shame. in San Jose. For he can shame. start against them at home. Martin Jones, great job. Well done. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be starting him in that game. Uh, Nick Robertson's a healthy scratch yesterday. Yeah. Trending eh. in that direction. He, yeah. And I know the like minutes total two was... The, day, the two games before. But. Yeah. <laughs> the, the minutes total was yeah under 10 minutes against the Los Angeles Kings. This was supposed to be the final, like, hey, he's seen his last of the AHL. He's seen his last of the press box. And, yeah, hasn't exactly been. I've, by and large, I think the third line has done a, a fine job. Max Domi's racking up a bunch of assists this mm-hmm. season, if not goals. But that's blew, that's blew, kind of his. Blew the zone on the Ducks goal last night. Right. Sure. But. What's to become of Nick Robertson now? Is this like the beginning of of the end? Like, not that he's got like tremendous trade value here, or is this just his role now? He's a guy that's in and out of the lineup, like a, a, a you know third line. Maybe I mean, I, I hard to imagine him being a fourth line guy because yeah, he not. doesn't have that physical element to his game. And and say what you will about the fourth line's ability to score or lack thereof, but at least they keep the puck out of their own net. That's not in Nick Robertson's game. But if you don't do that and you don't score, that's it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, it's it's frustrating for a guy like Robertson because I actually think he's made some pretty big strides in terms of the all-around game. You know, he's not some defensive stalwart or some guy that can be trusted in that regard, but you've seen him really working, back-checking, trying to provide more than the offense that, by the way, he doesn't really provide. Like, go look at the production. We know he can shoot the puck, but he's not necessarily been a guy who's been producing in the time he's got either. So much of this is a guy who is just in the wrong circumstance for the player he is and the spot in his career 
he is. If this is the Leafs team during the Matthews tank year and he is 23-year-old Nick Robertson, he's on the first line, he's playing first power play. There ain't top six minutes for him to be had and there's not power play time to be had. He needs both of them. I actually think he has made strides as a player and that's why I don't think you see Keith barbecuing left, right, and center. He'll sit him down. You could sit David Camp down. We know how much he loves David David Camp. So I think that this is just a guy who has always been in a rush because of the space the team is in or the 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 winning cycle that this team is in now. And it's it's tough because you would like to think, you know, I always sit there and watch him and go, oh, if I was some, you know, middling team, that's exactly the kind of guy you'd want to target to maybe have a chance at a bigger role and see what can happen. But it's exactly that. It's a flyer. It's far from a certainty that he would flourish in some other role. So, you know, it's hard to envision him being much, if anything, of a trade ship. But if I was a team making a trade where I'm looking at futures and all of that, that is definitely a guy I would want as part of the package. Yeah. I just don't and know how much. And then throw in a Nick Robertson uh, as well, right? Exa- yeah, here's, here's all the things you have to give me to get this done. And I'll take your 22-year-old who yeah. can rip it. Yep. Uh, maybe he'll be back in the lineup in San Jose. Feels like a better game for him. Got to be honest. Yeah. Although the Ducks playing their roller hockey would have been right at home for him last night. You really hate Trevor Zegers. I eh? do. I do. It offends my sensibilities. And then, like, you know, God love Sean McKenzie, but I just got to hear about the Michigan one more time in my life. I'm going to die. So Yeah. Yeah, it's like, like oh, it's so it cool. The same day, or was it like the day after no, the Connor and, Bedard? Yeah, they did it the same day. And it's like, guess what? Connor Bedard doing the Michigan? Cool. Trevor Zegris, been around a while here. Can you can you do I a don't thing? Know. The Sonny Milano play I yeah, it was great. Oh, way cool. better than the Michigan. Yeah. Flipping it over the net and batting it in. Yeah, it was great. You know what else would be great? Winning one game in your life that matters. <laughs> I don't disagree. Yeah. Go ahead and do it. All Anytime. Right. All right. Uh, speaking of winning one game that matters, Blue Jays haven't done that over the Vlad tenure. They've yet to win a playoff game, okay? They scored a run. And they brought back the run producer. Yeah, Kevin Kiermaier, that RBI, which we all remember. Again, like it's, I, I, can't, I can't conjure that memory. Uh, but it did happen. We both forgot about it and had to look it up yep. when we were discussing. Yep, yep, yep. He's back, and, and we we played you the clip from Ross Atkins' media availability yesterday talking about, hey, we're bringing the band back. Last year's just a blip. No, uh, no issues. Uh, yeah. You run that season back. Ladies and gentlemen, from the same city that brought you running it back with the Raptors and the Leafs, here are your 2024 Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, so that's happening. So that means, like, a lot of Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who's – yeah, he's capable defensively, and he could put the bat on the ball, but... Warm body. He, he's not going to solve your offensive problems. Anyways, so we heard that. Major takeaway from yesterday. We did wonder whether... Not whether, because I think it was pretty obvious that the question about Shoei Otani would be broached during that availability. His first since the ill-fated Friday and, you know, private planes leaving from California and, and whatnot... So I didn't even know what you're talking about. That didn't even happen. Yeah, a lot of people in this city Weird have dream. had some brainwashing sessions to try and forget what took place there. But it happened. Uh, and yeah, I'm largely over it. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, you almost sound like you believe it. Uh, here's, here's Ross Atkins yesterday on their pursuit of Shohei Otani. We were obviously disappointed with the outcome, and it was a very difficult phone call to receive. Uh, you know, one of the more difficult ones in my career. At the same time, incredible 
uh, process and, and just group effort and collaboration that uh, feels so good about not only um, that process, but what it meant to be in that position for this organization, for the city, for the country. Um, he, you know, there's no doubt in my mind he was exceptionally attracted to this country, this city, this team. Uh, felt incredible about the process, but we moved on. Okay. They've moved on. You should move on, I suppose. What um, an honor it was to be used <laughs> for leverage by Shohei Otani. What well, an honor. So what he did address that in that answer. There was also a follow-up about, hey, did you feel like you were used as leverage? Mm-hmm. I said, absolutely not. Like, yep. That was genuine. I I guess I, I, I take him at face value. But that being said, like, if he didn't believe that and they're just words, like, I'm fine with that too. Because, like, you do have to deal with yeah. Nez Bolello. Like, that's – you yeah. can't say, like, oh – we got screwed here. We're chumps. Mm-hmm. And forget you, Nezbolello. Forget you, future free agents who do that. We're not. We're not going to be your your uh, Patsy. your Patsy, the 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 franchise that gets involved in every single rumor around free agents just to boost the price up for other teams. Like we're not doing that anymore. We're legit. They are legit because they've yes. signed legit free agents over the last half decade. But. If he's just saying that and he truly does believe, like, ah, eh, we got screwed here a little bit. I I understand, like, just coming forward and saying what he said. But, like, do you feel any better after hearing that? Like, do you feel like, oh, they, hey, Shoei Otani had genuine interest in this country. He actually did also not in that particular mm-hmm. quote, but he was asked specifically about the trip to Dunedin. And he wouldn't clarify what day it was. I think we all know the one where, you know, the winter meetings are happening and he's on not Zoom. there. Yeah. And that is probably and the one that, you know, Ken Rosenthal reported that that, that was the day. <laughs> you that think? was probably the day. He did confirm that that happened. In any way, do you feel any better about what happened? Sorry, uh, and I know taking the blinders off that mm. you now have to remember right. the thing that you've trained yourself not to remember mm-hmm. anymore. But, like, does any of what you just heard there make you feel any differently about how things went down? No, there's nothing to be be said unless unless you're just going to go full scorched earth and say, I don't want to do business with this agent, and you're not going to do that. That's just flat-out unpragmatic. I do think there is some semblance of people who, of course, would have loved to have heard a you know, fire-breathing Ross Atkins step to the mic and go, yeah, we do feel like we were used as leverage. We feel like it hurt us in our pursuit of other things you wanted to do. You know, he's not going to name Juan Soto now that he's not here. But you can pay lip service to that idea. You can hint at that idea. But to your point, what is the benefit of that other than a chunk of red meat for the fan base? And, hey, if you want to say that nobody in Toronto sports Mm. needs to throw that to people more than Ross Atkins... Fair case to be made, but it's not going to change anything. It's not going to help anything. It is it is the thing we do most in this business that I love doing, but it feels the most fruitless of breaking down what somebody trying to parse their words. When we know what they we're all we're all human, you know, say what you will about Ross Atkins. He's a human as well. Like we doing a we, pretty good impression of one if we, he's not. He, he did, but we know what we know what he wants to say to a certain extent of yeah, of course I hate that this gummed up the entire offseason. I couldn't go make a Juan Soto trade and I had to sit here on tenterhooks for a guy who, again, I think it seemed clear as day was always going to go to the Dodgers so long as they ponied up, which, of course, they were going to do. So I just look at that and say, all right, fine. He said the thing. Move on. I have way more issue with the kind of run it back stuff mm. than I do any of the comments about Otani. You have a problem with, like, 
Danny Jansen hitting in the cleanup spot just ahead of Kevin Biggio and like maybe Alejandro Kirkin <laughs> there as the DH against righties. Dalton Varsho hitting maybe as high as seventh. Isaiah Kiner better than cleanup eighth, and then Kevin Kiermaier ninth. That that's a, not a lineup that gets the juices flowing. No, not necessarily. it does not. Anyway, it does not. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's a Jock Peterson thrown in the mix. No, there as well. and, and on it, and like I love Jock Peterson. That run him on him with that Braves team, and he was on so many of those good Dodgers mm-hmm. teams. Like good playoff performer, fun guy. Again, for a baseball team that you just have to deal with every day. One sixty two, like nice character to have in the mix, but it's it's just such a like you get whiplash going from Juan Soto and Shohei Otani to Jock Peterson. Well, and Isaiah Kiner Falefa. How dare I? And I listen. I'm number. I'm number one. Matt Chapman had a horrible season that was papered over by that first month, and you know made the numbers look even half respectable. He, I watched. He was awful, awful, awful for the final five months of the season. But yeah, that being said, like it's it's probably you know you, you feel a little bit more optimistic with Matt Chapman at the dish than Isaiah Kiner Falefa. Prove me wrong, IKF. <laughs> And and maybe it's it's not a like playing a hundred and thirty games at third base thing for him, but it does kind of feel that way. Anywho, we'll talk to Ben Nicholson Smith about it after eight thirty. Coming up next, though, we'll talk to Grange, Michael Grange, uh, in Memphis yesterday as the Raptors two and zero with the uh, new band together. He's coming up next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet five ninety, the Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's great. Uh, it's just uh, a point guard, a guard that, that, that can do so much uh, with the ball. Uh, his shooting is, is really something that makes the difference for us there. Teams are constantly going over on him, which just creates opportunities everywhere on the floor. I thought at the start of the game he was a little bit hesitant and reading, and you could see that in the first game as well. And uh, after that, he just started playing and being himself. And uh, that's what I told him. you got to be yourself. Uh, and on the fly, we're going to be teaching and learning and everything, but you got to go out there and have fun most of, first and foremost. Darko, he pulled me aside while the game was going on and said, you're not having fun, have fun. And so that was, I've never really had a coach do that. Um, so he told me that, then I started skipping. Fan Morning Show, Sports Night 5, Night of the Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. They're all going to have fun not paying for dinner if uh, they win uh, tomorrow night in Sacramento against the Kings. Three-game winning streak equals uh, pizza party or <laughs> potentially steak party at a steakhouse, I imagine, for uh, Darko Ryakovich. I talked to Michael Grange, Sportsnet's own, who uh, was in Memphis for a second consecutive victory for uh, this Raptors team. How's it going, Michael? It's good. And just to clarify, I was not in Memphis. I'm oh, heading sorry. to Sacramento. But uh, it's gonna, it could be an expensive week for Darko because uh, I think they already have a team dinner planned. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't know if he's officially paying for that one. I think that's a team dinner. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if they win three in a row, then he's promising to pay for dinner. Right. And actually, the pizza party element, I think, is, is in theory could be, uh, I think he got guilted into maybe promising the media he would do that. Oh, so we'll you, yeah. Does Stan Van Gundy show up and just get incredulous about for three wins pizza? <laughs> oh, That's yeah. all I can think That's of the, right uh, now. Yeah. No. It's, uh, you know, you'd think objectively that'd be a low bar, but uh, here you are, January. <laughs> 
whatever day it is. And, uh, you know, I think the Raptors only run two in a row two or three times. So, um, you know, baby steps, well, baby steps. Well, and, you know, again, poor poor Coach Darko in his wallet here. If they pick it up in Sacramento, he's got to do that dinner in San Fran or L.A. It's like if I'm him, I'm going, yes. can we wait till Utah? I feel like maybe we could get a slightly, you know, better better uh, deal in Utah than we would know. Yeah, That's I mean, all the perfect I think of. would have been had they had they beat Detroit. Mm. And then Memphis was three in a row. <laughs> yes. I mean, barbecue. Is, you know, barbecue is good perfect. for everybody. Everyone's happy. Yeah, but uh, beggars can't be choosers, as they say. <laughs> no. It's gonna be a good day. It's, it's gonna be a good week for the for the per diem. Ideally, <laughs> uh, if this all works out, Raptors wise. Yeah, and you yeah, know what? Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned that these winning streaks, as short as they are, back to back now for this Raptors team, I've been few and far between. And the, you, there was a scenario where, like, yeah, the eighty-two games play out with the previous incarnation of this Raptors team, and they do not win three in a row. I, I, w- I wouldn't have put it past that team, but it just feels like with one fell swoop, and it was. Not an insignificant trade. I understand it. OG Ananobi, uh, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly. No offense, uh, offense to Malachi Flynn and, and Precious Achua, but those are the three principles. It's a, it's a big trade, but it does feel like, and I know I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but feels like everything's different now, Michael. <laughs> well, um, I mean, it, it's, it's certainly, there's a lot of room to be excited. And I think if you're just, you know, regardless of how things work work out, I mean, this is a very difficult road trip, and they've got a very difficult stretch of road games coming up. They only have five five games at home between now and the trade deadline, so you know they could run in some headwinds here. But um, you know, in in just seeing quickly in two games, and certainly uh, how he played against Memphis, it's looking like it's going to be inescapable that this look this guy is someone who can play lead guard. I don't know if point guard's the right word, uh, but lead guard alongside Scotty Barnes for a long time. And if you look around the NBA and, you know, having a guard who is a legitimate threat um, almost from across center and then has the skill and ability to kind of manipulate that threat into other opportunities, either getting the paint or, you know, ideally as his overall game grows to create opportunities for other guys, it's almost a prerequisite and uh, to be a good team in the NBA. And, I mean, you look at the way Tyrese Halliburton's playing, you look at the way, you know, obviously I think quickly said that Steph Curry is his favorite player, um, Dame Lillard. Like you, you look, you know, you kind of go down up and down the, the league and Jalen Brunson and, and having a player who is that threat um, and can manipulate that threat, like I said, from almost a minute they cross center, it's, it's hard to be a really good team without that. And, um, you know, like, it doesn't mean all your other pieces fit. doesn't mean, you know, you're, you're done. But, um, you know, I, I think you got a 24-year-old who uh, from every, you know, every study, you know, when you kind of break down his game from every angle, he profiled as a guy who, given minutes, given opportunity, would uh, be able to excel. And that certainly was the case when he was started last year with the Knicks when Brunson was out and I think when RJ was out. And, uh, you know, certainly in his first two games in Toronto, he looks like, you know, every inch that type of player. So, um you know, however anything else goes this season, I mean, that's an, an essential piece to get, and, and it looks like the Raptors did it. 
Yeah, and he takes the most field goal attempts of any Raptor yesterday with 18, but it didn't feel like anything was forced. And R.J. Barrett, like, where are you on, like, the, the seemingly seamless fit and the seamless transition to this Raptors team? And both games have had, they haven't been perfect, right, for the full 48, and they almost gave it up uh, at the end of the Cavs game, if not for some missed wide-open threes. I will say that, you know, before that, the Cavs made some pretty good contested threes. And then, yeah, it gets a lot closer than it needed to be yesterday in Memphis, but it just feels like quickly... And Barrett, like they've just fit into the ecosystem pretty pretty seamlessly so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I touched on this in, in when I, I wrote my piece for this morning, but the um, you know R.J. Barrett's not a perfect basketball player. Like he's you know like his he's got his flaws, like any other player has his flaws. And you know O.G. Ananobi is near perfect in his role, and he's done really well in New York. But one thing that did jump out to me and has jumped out to me is, and I think you're touching on is, is with quickly and with Barrett, uh, both starting, you have, you've kind of, you have two more guys in your lineup who are kind of intuitive basketball players. And, you know, quickly we've talked about, we've seen it. It's, it's very evident. And and with RJ, look, it's, it's, you know, he doesn't always make the, the right play, but he's capable of making the right play more often than not. And, um, you know, he's, 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 he's comfortable with the ball in his hands. He's a guy who grew up as a, you know, the primary scorer and, and, and his, you know, I think in his heart believes he's capable of that anytime he's asked to be that. And, um, you know, so I, to me, you just have another guy who, if it's in transition, you know, he, he's, this is, you know, where he, you know, having the ball in transition is where he should be. If it's attacking in the half court, that's, he's perfectly comfortable with that. And, and, you know, you saw some of the passes he's capable of making. I think that's that and, you know, shooting effectively from, from distance as an off-the-ball player are kind of the two, you know, the two elements that can really elevate his game as a whole. But he's, you know, I think his basketball brain is at a high level. And I think um, it just gives the Raptors as a group way more optionality, way more people who can initiate an offense, who can read where the offense is going. And I'm not saying Anobi wasn't that, but I, I don't think that was his strength. Um, he had lots of other strengths. And look, he's, you know, there's going to be a time in the next few weeks we're going to be talking about, man, <laughs> it'd be nice to have OG and Anobi on this team, but you don't get, you know, you have to give something to get something. And I think ha- adding, um, you know, two players who are, you know, good IQ, smart, intuitive basketball players is really good. And, and I think also, Adding those two guys to your starting lineup means, you know, if you have your second unit with Dennis Schroeder, you know, getting more reps than not, um, that helps too. You know, he's, I think he's, he's a much more polished and experienced player than Malachi Flynn. And having all of a sudden depth, at, proven depth at point guard is, uh, you know, that, that always makes teams look better. It just, um, you know, you're, no matter how good your point, your starting point guard is, you know, he's only going to play 36, 37 minutes. And probably, you know, often less than that. And uh, if you've got a guy all of a sudden like Dennis Schroeder, who's, you know, can finish games as he did last night, I thought he made the, the essential play in the game when he, uh, you know, he pump faked, ball faked, and, you know, made a floating layup to kind of put Raptors up seven. Um, you know, that's that's your, your, quote, backup point guard. That's really good. And uh, that, that helps a lot, too. 
Yeah, just the guy who uh, led Germany to win at the FIBA World Cup. I know we were all all focused on uh, Canada's big bronze there, but it's not lost on me that he had that summer and then he's, he's kind of carried it into this season. And I'm with you, the role he's going to have there. You know, you touched on the 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 way this team will have to learn to operate together. And I'm with you. I think so far, you know, it's working in spades. But when you have guys like Quickly or Barrett, and to your point, you know, at various points in their career, they've been the guy asked to have the ball late in games or late in a shot clock. You know, Barnes has been that guy for teams. Siakam has been that guy for teams. Do you think this is just something that will naturally kind of sort itself out in terms of a hierarchy or a pecking order as these guys get more time together? How much of that is on kind of Coach Darko to help figure out and I guess that's also the question I have about coach Darko's role with this team now is you know the I have no questions about what he is as a you know a a guy who can galvanize people and and build people up and and a teacher and a X's and O's guy but in terms of dealing with NBA personalities it feels like maybe this will be a slightly bigger test than he's had in the past just in the fact that there are so many guys who can who can rightfully say no it's the end of the game give me the ball um, I take your point. I mean, I, I think what's going to help Tarko is having more players who can play the way he ideally wants his team to play. And so um, I think um, I agree with you. I think last night down the stretch, if we're going to nitpick, they didn't look very good. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of possessions of, of uh, you know, quickly sort of trying to, you know, trying to initiate something kind of midway through a shot clock. And then it ended up having Scotty do it. And, you know, and I don't think, I don't think Pascal touched the ball in the last sort of four or five minutes of the game, really. So, um, you know, so there's, yeah, there's definitely some sorting out to do. And, you know, hopefully today they're having their first practice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that'll be the start of it. And, uh, but I think the key is um, you have to have guys who are willing and, and, you know, I think, um, I don't think that'll be a problem. I, I think this is a group that you can work with, and you know we'll see how long Pascal's part of it. And 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 uh, you know it's uh, it's going to be really interesting going forward, right? I mean, um, you know Siakam's a pretty good player, so um, you know it's 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 going to be interesting to see what they decide to do. But overall, um, you know, having as I said a point guard who can really really shoot it and really really spread your spread the floor will make every game situation easier. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to make Darko's job easier more than anything else. All right, Pascal, because that's that's the next shoe to drop, whether he's traded at the deadline, whether he's um, signed to an extension, what, what his future is in Toronto with this Raptors team. It, it is interesting, the timing of this trade, that we get a, a month-ish to, to see how it works with Pascal before a potential decision is made on his future here. Just, uh, I'm I'm no capologist, but like for next season, can can they re-sign him to the number that he so de- desires? And I guess this is all, you know, depending on what Emmanuel quickly gets in restricted free agency. Like, can they can they make it work under the luxury tax for next season for a team that's obviously not going to be a championship contender, but could be a top four seed in the Eastern Conference? I mean, I think technically they can. Uh, it just gets really tight, and um, it really sets you. You know, it sets things up. It gets really challenging because uh, this time next year, or this time next, you know, the summer after next, um, or the season after next, you know, Scotty Barnes, Mac, what will be a max extension will kick in, and mm-hmm. I think it, uh, you know, a variable there will be how much you're going to have to pay quickly, and um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, he was 
looking for about 140 million uh, from the Knicks as a guy who'd been coming off their bench, and he's going to be profiling as a starter here the next 50 games. And uh, can you know, he write he his want... own ticket? Like he's he's the, the Raptors kind of leveraged and given him kind of whatever he wants here. He, well, he's a restricted free agent, so I, I, I get you know, it. So, so the Raptors are able to match. Yeah. And it's it's not that often that teams really make big, big runs at restricted free agents. It just complicates a lot of stuff. Um, so typically there's a, you know, it's, there's, it's not often you get kind of shoehorned into having to match a max, but it does happen. And, you know, uh, you don't think the San Antonio Spurs right. <laughs> who have cap space wouldn't be interested in having a player like Emmanuel Cookley uh, to pair with um, Victor Wembanyama, Wembanyama for the next decade. Uh, I mean, they probably would. Uh, I think the Orlando Magic, who can get some, can work their way into some serious cap space. They need a point guard who can really shoot it and can do all the things we've seen quickly do. And uh, that's probably the, the, you know, the one ingredient they're missing. Um, you know, and. Uh, you know, the Detroit Pistons are another team that's going to have cap space. And, you know, they're probably looking for some, they would, you know, he would fit pretty good alongside Kate, Kate Cunningham long term. So, I mean, then, you know, I don't think you're going to get a discount <laughs> would be my way to interpret it. And, uh, and yeah, so that just like, that doesn't mean it ends up being a max. Who knows how this all works, but, and I can promise you there's been discussions, right? Like this trade wouldn't have gone down if there was not at least a, mm you know, a wink saying, yeah, no, yeah, no, Toronto could be a good situation for us sort of thing. But, um, uh, but yeah, so, so to take it all back to Siakam, I think it's, 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 everything is possible. Um, it just, I think will come down to, um, you know, is it, is it the best use of your resources to have it all tied up and essentially what'll be, you know, three really good players in, uh, Barnes, Siakam and, um, and quickly, or are you better to keep in mind that, that Pascal turns 30, I think in a few weeks here or months and, um, or are you better to, you know, look at an opportunity where you can add multiple pieces, add your depth, maybe restock your draft profile a little bit. And if you're lucky, get, you know, find another player that profiles a little bit like quickly, someone who's, you know, ready for, to grow into a bigger opportunity who uh, fits the age line, the timeline of, you know, 24-year-old quickly, 22-year-old Scotty Barnes, and and uh, you know, then, then you're kind of you're kind of set for for some time to come. Masai's talked in the past about yeah, we can make trades later on, and I, I guess he was finally proven right, uh, given the one we've spent the last 20 minutes talking about here. But if they sign Siakam, is that effectively locking him into his... I, I understand it is literally locking him into his future as a Raptor, but is there a world where they sign him and then this time next year or next offseason we're sitting here having more conversations about, about a Pascal Siakam trade? Like, Do you think he is either traded at the deadline or he's a Raptor for the next you know, three, four, five years, whatever it is? Um, I think the challenge is, and you're right, you know, they can, they can extend it many times, right. till uh, June 30th. And, um, you know, there was, there's, there's a good argument for that, I think, but once you sign him, if you were to sign him to an extension today, he wouldn't be eligible for trade for six months. Um, so it sort of takes you out of a little draft window where there's often some, some trade talk, but, um, 
you know, I think that the the, the risk is, you know, you you know, you sign a player like I say is turning thirty, and I think at this point, I doubt if you know Siakam would sign for you know anything less than four years. Um, you know, it's a big contract, and uh, is he more or less tradable a year from now under that contract? I I don't know, but um, you know, you are taking on a lot of risk in that scenario. And I think ultimately, if uh, there was a real, you would think, if there was a real appetite to do that, it'd be done. <laughs> you know, like, like that's that's sort of the the thing you keep returning to. It's um, you know, for whatever reason, there's been clearly a, a you know a hesitancy uh, on the Raptors' part to sign Siakam to like you know what he's eligible for, which is four years, two hundred million, and you can debate back and forth whether. You know the Raptors are wise to to be cautious, or you know maybe they're kind of overthinking a bit, and 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 you know we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. I mean it's just too hard to predict, but um, but I mean I think it's kind of seeming unlikely that this extension is going to happen, and uh, so then the question is 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 if there is going to be a trade, is is you know have you kind of somehow um, diminished your potential return by? Uh, letting things, everything, letting everything play out so long. We just don't know. Mm. Well, hopefully, potential suitors are watching the the play over the last couple of weeks or so because he's been uh, playing great. He's playing great. Yep, hitting threes as well. Uh, Michael, always a pleasure. Thank you. All right, guys, take care. You too, Michael Grange, not in Memphis, headed to uh, Sacramento though. Tomorrow night to see uh, the new look Raptors against the Sacramento Kings. You uh, might even say that was our pleasure. Yep, uh, I would. Time now for the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. No Leafs, no Raptors tonight, but we do have hockey. Not even NFL. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, it, Of course, it being the final week of the NFL regular season, no Thursday nighter. Uh, we do have NHL hockey on Sportsnet Ontario and Sportsnet East as the Pittsburgh Penguins coming off their loss against the Washington Capitals go to play the Atlantic Division-leading Boston Bruins. The... Moneyline has the Bruins as pretty heavy favorites, minus 161. The Penguins plus 135. The total, a little lower. It's a six for this game, Brent. We will be taking the over. We love goals, especially in games we don't care about the outcome of. And the Penguins have given up a lot of them on the road lately. They've given up 15 in their last four road games. Boston cruising offensively. Give me the over here, uh, especially with it being six. Yeah, that's a minus 105. That's where I'm going. Yeah, and I know the the Bruins have been great this season, maybe surprisingly so, and the Penguins find themselves on the outside of the playoff picture looking in. But, yeah, I don't know. You got a Penguins team that's been a little bit better recently. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like them at plus money on the road uh, against the Bruins. Give me the Penguins plus 135 also on uh, Sportsnet Ontario and Sportsnet East at 10 p.m. It is the Vegas Golden Knights hosting the Florida Panthers in a game, a couple of games of intrigue to Leaf fans, mm-hmm. of course, with the Panthers and the Bruins, uh, the only teams ahead of them in the Atlantic Division. And this one, pretty much a coin flip as the Golden Knights' slight favorites, minus 115, but paying the juice also on the Panthers, minus 105 in the total. This one, also six. 
I like the Panthers to cover minus one and a half plus 225. There is the odds. Uh, That's looking juicy to me. You know, Golden Knights, obviously they had the weird kind of holiday schedule. Always odd coming out of an outdoor game. Panthers been cruising lately. So uh, yeah, let's go Panthers minus one and a half. You get that a plus 225. Yeah, I'm with that. The Panthers on a five-game winning streak, they they won the first matchup between these two teams, 4-2 in Florida back on December the 23rd. So, yeah, give me the the Panthers to, to win by more than two goals against the defending Stanley Cup champs. That was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. When we come back, Nick Kiprios shaking things up with his report of a pending potential William Nylander extension before the NHL's all-star break. We will talk to the aforementioned Kipper of Real Kipper and Born next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.